Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today we're talking to Melanie Curtis, who took 80 women from 22 countries to make skydiving history by doing the largest all-women head-down vertical skydive uh, and vertical, being vertical upside down is very a very difficult thing to do as a skydiver, and they did it to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the 19th Amendment, by the way. And the 19th Amendment was the amendment in the U.S. Constitution that gave women the right to vote. And so they called the project Project 19. And so they aimed for a record of 100 to celebrate the 100 years. And by the way, got 80. The previous record was 65. So pretty cool. We're just going to hear from Melanie where this idea came from, how she got it together. Because, you know, jumping a bunch of times is one thing. Getting and coordinating 22 people from 22 countries is another. And getting them to do something like this is just, I can't even imagine how difficult it was to pull this off. But Melanie herself has completed over 12 thousand jumps and is uh, a sought-after speaker and consultant, um, hosts her own podcast, Trust the Journey, with Jason Maletsky. So if you're interested in hearing more from Melanie, check out her podcast. Check out her Women's Skydiving Network. You can find that womenskydivingnetwork.org, her Instagram page. She's got a lot of links that you can follow in the show notes. And yeah, let's go ahead and jump into the story. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast today. As you can probably tell from the title of this episode, kind of unique, going to be talking about skydiving, something that we have talked about. We do have like a flying segment on our past episodes page where you can like look up previous episodes. There is like a portion that's like basically in the air, but this, it's been a while. It's been a while. So Melanie Curtis, welcome to the show. What is up, team? I'm fired up to be here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So I know you're coming off you know, a recent huge project, but one thing I always ask and I want to know is where are you coming from today? And if that's not home, where is home? I am coming to you from Summit, New Jersey, which is outside New York City, and it is home. And I will say it is great to be home. It's been a busy last year with a lot of travel that went into building this world record and all the things that we're, I'm sure, going to get into. And now I saw that you, I, maybe I'm, the research wasn't correct, but I think you moved from Florida a couple years ago, away from Florida. And I just only bring that up because I live in Florida and I know there's tons of skydiving here. So <laughs> yes, there's a lot of skydiving in Florida. No, I, my parents live in Florida and I visit them a lot. My best friend also lives in Florida. A couple of my best friends live there, which is kind of funny because I personally actually don't even like Florida that much, <laughs> being super honest. <laughs> I don't like New Jersey, so back at you. You know, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. Jersey has all the, the gray skies and oh, yeah. construction and all that. But yeah, no, I, I, I joke, but it's a great place to go skydiving. The weather is beautiful. It's, you know, you get a lot of thunderstorms, but it's good for us. What is the draw? Is it just consistent weather or just you know, like warm temperatures up, up there? Like what, what is the draw? Cause it is a big thing. I grew up near a big skydiving area in Lake Wales, Florida. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it was just a thing driving down the highway. Like, you know, I wasn't into it. My family wasn't, but I mean, you'd see hundreds of people out your window any given day, honestly, yeah. just falling from the sky. And it just was like a, a fixture 
on the horizon for a lot of my childhood. For sure. I mean, weather definitely matters. And that's that's one thing that makes actually, I mean, talking about Florida, that's really one thing that makes it great is that you've got blue skies, it's sunny. Obviously you have the, like you said, the afternoon thunder showers there, but for the most part, you're going to have warm weather and sunny skies, which makes skydiving possible. You can jump in the winter. It's just definitely not as pleasant. It's It can be beautiful to jump in the snow. I've jumped up here in Jersey in, in the winter before. I don't necessarily like doing that because it is really cold when you get to altitude. You know, even in a place like Florida where it's warm, it gets colder the higher that you go up. So that's why when it's cold on the ground, it's really cold up top. I mean, you're at, you know, depending on the elevation, it's it's like being at that elevation in the mountains or something, I would imagine, like huge temperature differences that every thousand feet you go up to where, yeah, it'd be pretty uncomfortable at the top. But yeah, by, you don't have to worry about the gators here. So that's one thing that's, uh, that's <laughs> exactly. kind of nice being up there in the sky. A lot of birds, though. So I, I, I mean, you've jumped 12,000 times. So we're going to talk about some of the outliers of some of those jumps. So I, I first of all, the numbers that I had heard when doing research and just folks that I knew that were into it were like one to 2,000 was like a big deal. And so when I saw that you've done 12,000, that's, I mean, I, how do you even have that kind of time is what I'm wondering. Is that like you just jump 24-7? But I, I promise I'll get to questions, but that is, uh, that is an insane amount of jumps in my opinion. Yeah, no worries. It is an insane amount of jumps. It's the answer is wild crazy passion and a one track mind. I made my first jump when I was 18 years old. So my dad, he's a pilot. And so I was around aviation. We literally have an airport at my dad's house. It's a grass strip behind his house. And I, my first flight was when I was three months old. So I was exposed to aviation at a really young age. And then as I grew up, my dad and his best friend, who was a skydiver, opened a drop zone literally at my house. So as a young kid, I'm around skydiving, I'm witnessing this, and I am i know I can do it. I could have done it when I was 16 years old, but I was too scared. I just wasn't ready. But I thought about it. I'd sit through the first jump course. I would think about it. I would feel scared about it. I would want to do it, but not want to do it. Just all, all this sort of mental gymnastics that we go through as adults too, <laughs> you know? And one day when I was 18, I just said, all right, oh, just tomorrow I'm doing it. And I sat through the first jump course with a different intention. I geared up with a different intention. I got into the airplane. My instructor reached across my body as I'm sitting there opens the door, it flings open, it's loud, and I'm looking down and there's nothing between me and 5,000 feet, nothing between me and the ground. And it's no joke that moment when you're looking out of an open aircraft door in flight. And then also quite, it's a life-altering moment when you then leave an aircraft that is in flight. You, there's no getting back in the airplane. Mm. You know what I mean? And so when I... I was so nervous. I was so sure I couldn't do this thing, even though I was surrounded by it. Witnessing other people do it all the time, I was very much didn't know because how do you know when you don't haven't done something yet? And so anyway, when I landed, 
and I was basically alive and successfully had done this thing, I, I, my, my mind was fundamentally altered truly forever. I didn't know it at the time because I was 18 and not very self-reflective, but over the years I've reflected back and go, whoa, that whole challenging of fear thing has made it possible for me to be an entrepreneur, to write books, to be up out in the world, to be a keynote speaker, to just put myself out there, to be out and brave in relationships and all kinds of places. So it's a huge deal what skydiving did for me as a young person. And so that is available to people, whether they go crazy and make 12,000 jumps or whether they do one and, and sort of get what that's like for themselves. So you're already diving into what it's taught you. And I'm going to ask you that later. But going back <laughs> to that first jump, no, that's great. So you had a strip in your backyard and your, I guess you said your dad started a business with his best friend mm -hmm. to skydive. And so, yeah, you were around that infrastructure, like the onboarding or the, you know, here's what you need to know before we go out. You were around that culture. And I'm sure attracting people from all over the place who are either enthusiasts or brand new to it. 18 years old does seem older than I would expect the yeah. daughter of the business owner to jump. I would, I, it, it, to me, it'd be one of them situations you pull up as a first timer and there's like this 14 year old running around who has a thousand dives already. And that right, was, you know, right. that's the daughter right there. So yeah, that that's quite a bit of hesitation. I guess your dad didn't pressure you to do it earlier. Your parents, whatnot, just no. let you decide on your own time. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely did not pressure me. I mean, my mom didn't want me to do it at all. My parents <laughs> were divorced. And so I had that, I just sort of had that, that had that dichotomy going on, but it, it called to me. I really wanted to do it. It's very interesting because not everybody gets the bug. You know, we talk about all kinds of different adventure sports on the show and some people go huge in mountaineering or, surfing or paragliding or whatever it might be, they get that something calls to them. And for me, it very much was that where I, as soon as I made that first jump, I, from that point on until later in my life, when I sort of was having more of my own personal awakening, my own, my, more of my own personal developments, spiritual journey, opening up to other things that I cared about more deeply. And that's another thing about this world record, having a big purpose behind it is every decision I made from that point on was to include skydiving in my life. How can I, I didn't like drop out of college or anything, but I said, okay, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do my study abroad year in Australia, where it is English speaking, sunny, subtropical. And I called ahead before I even went there. And booked my AFF. I wasn't even off student status when I went to Australia. I finished my license down there. I sat on the side of the road at a roundabout hitching ride, not like hitching with strangers, but getting a ride from my instructor down to the drop zone. I ate canned beans. I worked a job at a diet place so I could make money to, to you know, pay for more jumps literally at this diet place, I'm not joking, they didn't include bread crusts in their meals that they gave their customers. So I would take all those bread crusts, 
just so I had that much more food that was free <laughs> in my life, you know? Holy cow. Yeah, you got you got really bit by the bug, uh, which I love. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And that so that's really interesting, that concept of being bit by the bug. Because you're right, it doesn't happen with everything you try or everything right. you do. But as, I mean, obviously so many people that are guests on this show got bit somehow. And I'd, I'd love to look up like the origin of that term. Not sure, but yeah. has to do, of course it has to do with disease or something, but yeah, it's, it feels like it should be a bad thing. It's obviously a good thing, but totally. we've heard it from a lot of people on this show too, where they're telling us a story on this podcast of the second bug that bit them or the third bug that bit them because the first or second one is now impossible for them from an injury, from where they are in life. And so anyone out there that's like, you know, there's a bug I got, I was bitten by, and that's, you know, that's harder for me now. I, I encourage folks to keep exploring because you don't know where that next bug is. And it might be a bigger, more passionate drive. What, what are the chances you found your life passion? The only thing you could be passionate about at 18. So we've yeah. just heard from so many people on this show. Just be encouraged if you feel like you haven't you don't know what that thing is yet. You just keep exploring. Sooner or later, you'll find it. And maybe you're more of a, a polymath in the sense of you enjoy all kinds of adventures. That's kind of where I'm Very I am, true. But, um, very, that's a really true. interesting idea, being bitten by the bug that hard that early. So you're in Australia eating cans of beans and breadcrumbs <laughs> and diving or, or skydiving as much as possible. Was there any sort of advantage to being down there? Versus somewhere in the States where you could dive or it was just, hey, Australia is a really cool place. It's a perfect environment. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. A cool place to learn. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. The advantage is was not something I necessarily knew at the time. It was basically that the academic structure there for my study abroad year was pass-fail. And so I was able to be a little bit looser in how I approached my academic pursuits, which as I'm like a super, or at least historically was, a super high achiever, all did all the things, you know, went to school early to study calculus so I could get a five on the AP, like really high achieving type of young person. And it allowed me to shift my focus to skydiving at a time when I really, really was wanting to. And what a cool place to learn as well. Definitely. You go there, you refine your skills, dive in some beautiful places. Any stories there? Anything that happened that was really like instrumental in your career or impactful as far as a specific dive? I don't know how many like stick out to you above the rest <laughs> with 12,000. That's just unbelievable. Oh, gosh. Uh, but is was, was there anything that happened, a story you could share? Yes. The answer is yes. Lots and lots of them. I think of things that I've done more recently, to be honest. It's funny. Uh, we, we're talking about this world record, and I came out of retirement to do this world record, this Project 19 big world record that we just accomplished because I did a lot of things in my skydiving career for many years. I competed at some of the highest levels. I've done other world records. 
I've done demonstration jumps. Like one of the things that's kind of a funny story, we jumped, did a demo into a demonstration jump into Dodger Stadium. And it was for this weird sort of Camp Vegas <laughs> theme. It was like, a, you know, what's that, what's that word? Uh, I don't know. One of those things where... You just as publicity stunt oh, for yeah. for this for this thing that they were doing in Vegas, and so in bathing suits, which is ridiculous in itself, we jump into Dodger Stadium, and I didn't actually we didn't actually get to jump into the stadium in front of the crowd because that can happen on demonstration jumps where the winds are too bad or they if the winds are coming over the walls of a stadium it can be really dangerous and so you have to make a really deliberate safe choice so we got to do the practice jump and it was pretty hairy on, on its own but then we ended up doing a uh spot on the LA morning show after sort of wearing these bathing suits. It was so weird and so not my style, but also kind of comical in the sense that where skydiving has taken me, one of the most, the most amazing jump that I think I've ever done singularly myself is jumping over the Great Pyramids in Egypt. I can't even tell you how mind-blowing it is to just stand next to the pyramids, much less get to fly next to them. It's it's absolutely unbelievable. And, and I just can't even, it's for 12,000 jumps, 26 years, that it's saying something that that is sort of a pinnacle jump. And Project 19 absolutely is up there as well because man, we did six jumps from 19,000 feet, 20,000 feet, all world record attempts, all super important team jumps. And you have to perform at your absolute best on every single attempt in such a rigorous physical, mental, and emotional environment. That day, that last day of Project 19 stands out for me very much as the most intense day of my skydiving career to date. And that just happened. Fascinating. Well, let's let's actually dive into that. I, I know we could probably spend a few hours at least talking about your years of professional skydiving and the experiences leading up to Project Nineteen. So, Project Nineteen is well, you know, you're here. You 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 define it. You're going to do a better <laughs> job than me. But tell us about this world record skydiving achievement to celebrate. 19th Amendment with women all over the world. Where did this idea even come from? Tell us what it is and where the idea came from, because it's very ambitious. Yeah, the idea came basically when the centennial anniversary of the 19th Amendment was coming up. And that amendment secured the right to vote for women in the United States. And there was a whole, certainly the whole women's suffrage movement around the world of, of securing the right to vote for women, giving us a voice in the laws that govern us. One thing that's, I think, really important before I even go into the skydiving is to highlight that the 19th Amendment has a very, a very much a complex history that it, in language, secured the right to vote for all women, but really it only secured it for white women. And that very it took decades longer for women of color, people of color to have equitable access to the polls and still we're fighting that fight today. There's so there's so much in terms of the metaphor of what Project 19 is in terms of women's rights and all kinds of, of equality and equity. But 
it came, the idea was how do we, what can we do that is big, that is noteworthy, that is newsworthy, that can help elevate the conversation around women's rights and equality. And so that's what the idea was. We first talked about doing a demonstration jump in Nashville, just one demonstration jump in Nashville, which was the last state, the final state to ratify the 19th Amendment. There's an amazing story about that final vote, by the way. I don't know if you know the story about Harry Burns. I don't. Oh, so phenomenal. Very long story short, he was in the anti-suffrage camp. And basically, the people who ran the legislature down there thought they had enough votes to defeat suffrage, to defeat women's suffrage. And so they called together this weird summer session. And unbeknownst to that leadership and the rest of the people, this guy, Harry, had gotten a note from his mother like the day before or the week before or something that... And his mom was an college-educated, read the newspaper, really smart woman, kind of knew what was up. And she basically said, and she encouraged him like to vote for suffrage. And so at the last moment, he changed his vote. And by one vote, millions of American women then had had the right to vote and had voice in, in the laws that, like I said, the laws that govern us. It's incredible the power when we think about voting, like, oh, my vote doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. Is like, that's kind of what we wanted to show and also certainly show the power of what happens when we come together as a team and start to amplify ideas that make a difference. I, you know, I, I love history. I'm going to dive into that story. I'd love to learn more about that. And gosh, the power of a stern mother, too. Holy <laughs> cow. My mom writes me a letter. I know it's serious and I better take it serious, <laughs> exactly. yeah, which happens from time exactly. to time. I'm not going to lie. I'm, that's, that's, <laughs> if she tells me I got to do something, I, I, I know I got to do it. Uh, <laughs> that's great. But wow. What a, I mean, I mean, what blows my mind is so, so this now did you, you, you didn't do it on the hundred year anniversary, but it was a hundred years ago. Correct. Yeah. In 2020, it was, we were supposed to do it in 2020, but then COVID basically got in the way. Obviously we can't bring together large groups of people. We can't, we couldn't even train, you know, everything really stopped, of course, when, when COVID happened. And so, you know, you're in small airplanes, very close together. There's really no possibility for social distancing and the kind of training that we need to do to make a record like this happen. So we really had to wait two more years to do it. The idea itself, you know, involving so many people, 80 women, the original goal I think it was 100. You were wanting for 100, but 80 is a heck of a lot of people to organize from all over the world. How did that even go about? What did you do? It requires, a t- it's a full team effort. And that's what's, you know, it's so cool. It, this whole thing was inspired by the women's suffrage movement. And what's really, I think, super cool is that it also par- it mirrors it in so many ways. Like, for example, it's almost impossible to have multiple camps where a hundred people can come. And then we're talking from around the world, right? So we needed needed to have regional captains that in their local communities were 
doing camps, helping people start to learn these skills, helping people start to gain the confidence to be on, oh, what does it look like when I exit a twin otter diving toward the bait? What does that look like? What does that diving exit feel like? Oh, and these are, I'm using terms that maybe people won't understand, like floating is something that we do when we exit before the base. So when we're exiting first, we have to sort of get bigger. We have to float up, go slower to float up to the people that are coming toward us, if that makes sense. So learning all those kinds of skills. What does it look like when I take my grips? What level do I need to be on? What does it feel like when I expand my grips out so that the next person behind me can grab onto my wrist? So it's all kinds of those details. Having regional captains help people do that stuff so that when they get on 40 ways and 60 ways and then 80 ways and then 100 ways, they're not so overloaded and so blacked out because they're so scared and it's over their line. We're getting people to basically essentially over time, push their line further and further so that on a 100 way they can perform. I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. A lot of terminology. (laughs) Uh, So you find these regional captains who recruit other women who are going to help. And and I assume everyone obviously has to have a base level of skydiving experience and be able to dive but some of these unique skills in the formation you're trying to form, this snowflake, was that already determined or did that just happen? It was predetermined, yeah. And you're right that every single woman on this particular record, on any record, has already has years and years and most of the time thousands of skydives. So it's the most experienced best skydivers in the world that are building these types of records. And there are tryout camps. So you have, there's a whole process to actually getting on a jump like this. Um, I think, gosh, I want to say among the women that were a part of Project 19, 150,000 jumps were, that was the total of how many people or how many jumps everyone had. Holy cow. That is, that <laughs> it's is a lot. That is a it's lot, a lot of jumps. All right, so you get those regional captains, you're getting the teams together. Where did this take place? And was that significant? And also, what was the process of getting everyone there at the camp? And like, what's the timeline we're looking at? I know there was tons of practice jumps and all that. Yeah. Take us through that. The record itself happened at Skydive Arizona. And the reason to have it there is that the weather is most of the time pretty predictable. Because obviously, if we have bad weather and we can't jump, that impacts our ability to potentially get the record because it's rare that you get the record on day one. And that wasn't even our approach. We basically got everyone who got an invitation. Everyone came to Arizona. And then we started by building that 40-way base, that center. And another thing that we did was we had a major training camp at the largest wind tunnel in the world. So we had 40, 45 women go to Abu Dhabi and fly in this giant, giant wind tunnel to practice this center core formation so that when we started adding more people, that solid center was easy for those people to dock on, to grab onto. From a skydiving point of view, would you say that was the biggest hurdle is everyone holding on in the formation? 
because everyone's obviously ex- experienced with the skills of, of skydiving itself, but is are like what are some of the challenges of getting that many people to form a shape? And this is, what is the significance of the vertical head down position? Because I know that that was mentioned as being part of the record. Tell us why this is so crazy to someone who just has no idea. Yeah, it's it's a good question. I can't not talk about the mental and emotional part of it, but the physical part of it, which so that people understand, is that I think the hardest part, and this is my personal view, is the making sure the approaches are safe and clean because you have a hundred people or 80 people converging on a center into a center point. And we're all on different levels and we're all going different speeds. So that's a key part of the training and the building up to the actual record attempts is to do jumps where you aren't even doing a record attempt. So you're kind of in the red and what does that exit feel like? And so for me, for example, I was jumping out of the lead plane, which was a sky van, which is, has a tailgate exit. So I'm in the very back of the plane and I'm running off of a tailgate and I'm jumping out off of that tailgate and I'm hitting the wind. There's some really awesome videos of this from a GoPro Max on my Instagram. Seriously, like there's really amazing views of this if people want to check that out. Um, you hit the wind and then what you start to do, you're, you can have tunnel vision. So it's like, oh, where? but with these jumps and these practice, you start to go, oh, who's around me? Who am I following to the formation? Who's coming in? Who's converging from the sides near me? Is there anyone going to the wrong place or flinging around that shouldn't be there? That information is really important to get. And so that, so that, on the record attempts, when I hit the wind off the tailgate of that sky van, I'm not not nervous. I'm able to get into my flow state and just let my body take over and really go in. Taking my grips and holding on to them, you still have to be really actively flying, but that is not as hard as getting there safely and getting there in time. How many attempts did it take to 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 do this? Gosh, I don't even know. It's a good question. Because you didn't get it on the first time, right? No, no. And it's it's rare that that happens. Okay. I think we did 12 attempts. But basically on, I mean, the when the record happened, we made the very deliberate choice. We were going for these 100 ways because that was the fun number. That was the great number of a hundred years, centennial anniversary. So that was what our goal was. But on the 25th, so on November 25th, that's when we did this, we decided we're going to make it smaller, something we know we can get pretty much, and then build again from there. So what we did is we set the record with 72 women. And that number is special because it took from the very first women's rights convention that happened in Seneca Falls. It took 72 years for women to secure the right to vote in the the United States. 
That's how long it takes to make, truly make generational change. And so 72A, we set that record. And then on the very next jump, we set another record with 80. We didn't end up getting the 100 way, but we tried for the rest of the time to do that. But even that is a really beautiful metaphor in the sense that the fight is never over. Like we have to continue to not sit on our laurels and not take for granted what we've achieved and know that there's more work to do in terms of of this type of equality. I mean, I'm looking at the videos of y'all, five planes, right? Yes, five Jumping planes. out. How did you, I mean, I guess there was coordinated timing with, when to jump and you have a very small window to get this done as well. Oh, yes. Just to speak to the coordination, the team is far, far bigger than the people who are on the world record jump. It's inclusive of every other woman who was on the bench team in support. It was every single pilot that flew those airplanes. It was every single person on the ground crew that made sure we were all landing safely. It was all the people driving the trucks that picked us up when we landed far away. It was all of the people capturing content to make sure we could tell this story, you know, and and I mentioned this and Harry Burns is another, is a great point to this, but there, you can see this in the Project 19 story as well, is allyship, you know, that all the men that are showing up in support of what we're doing, you know, in, in support and recognition of going, we want to share the power and privilege, you know what I mean? To put it very succinctly. And we want to be in service to to these types of efforts. And so that's been a really big thing as well. The, the gratitude and the and the just the beautiful growth that we've seen in terms of all of us as women being leaders and stepping into our voices and taking up space in rooms and encouraging people to vote all the things and also seeing the men who are growing in allyship and in support of us as well. It's very, very cool. I have to agree. It's very cool. And looking at this, <laughs> it's such a cool expression and way to celebrate something that wasn't that long ago. You know, it, it's kind of wild to think of just how much has changed in a hundred years in culture and society. And yeah. yeah, there's obviously tons that isn't perfect, but boy, there's been a b- bunch of progress. Yeah, there has. In a lot of areas compared to just what our grandparents' grandparents were thinking and how they mm-hmm. thought and how they acted. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. Which is really hopeful that like, okay, change is possible. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, tell me in the experience, when was the moment that y'all know you had it? Because I know that with the multiple jumps and with the first record and the second record, when was like, we've done it? It's a, it's a fascinating, amazing, beautiful feeling when you are in a formation. I mean, you're going 160 miles an hour, <laughs> upside down, holding hands with, you know, 80 other people or whatever the number is. And you feel it when a formation is built you there's this sort of electricity that goes through the formation it's it quiets down and you you feel it we also built a 97 way that 
pretty much entirely built. It was like one-tenth of a second away from being another record attempt where basically one person got on right as one person was leaving to break away at the end. And so it didn't count as an official record. But even on that formation, it's just you feel it. It's fascinating. And I, I don't know if that's just like a connection thing with the other people or just you don't see any other movement, but oh, it's powerful. Talk about something that wasn't possible a hundred years mm-hmm. ago as well. So yeah, in a way, you're carrying on the tradition of doing the impossible and doing, you know, that obviously no one would have thought humans would skydive. I mean, you tell me if the history is older than I think it is, but I don't think okay. they were doing that a hundred years ago. No, uh, I don't think so. Not as successfully, at least. <laughs> but talk about such an amazing, modern, cool, adventurous way to celebrate a huge shift in culture, huge shift, yeah. a huge change. So, I mean, what was some of the feedback about this? Did you hear from a lot of groups? What were some of the re- far reaches of the press and and the influence it had so, fo- so far? Because it's still going. It was only a month ago. Yeah, it's definitely still going. I mean, I will never not talk about this. This is me personally. I'm I'm a speaker. I'm I'm never not going to talk about this because it's that impactful of an experience in my own life, but I talked about coming out of retirement for this and that was because it had a purpose. It's because it had a core mission and the core mission of Project 19 and what we're doing with Highlight Skydiving and the the work that we're doing with the Women's Skydiving Network Foundation, which I am the executive director of, is the core mission is to inspire women and girls to live bold, brave lives of their own design. Like it would be great to increase the representation of women in skydiving. There's only 14% in the United States, 14% of the population of skydivers is are women. So it's low. And yeah, we would love to increase that that number. We would love to have women join us if, like you said, if they are inspired listening to this and they want to join us in skydiving, great, all about it. But even more than that, it's, we hope that it is about seeing something that seems literally impossible. And yet you see people like us who are just people, you know, me terrified at 18 trying to jump you think I wasn't terrified throughout the entire record week? I mean, terrified maybe is too intense of a word, but I was definitely the entire week challenged. Why am I doing this? I, I could just not do this. I could just stop. Just afraid. What if this person does that? What if I don't do this? What if I flail? What if all the fear thoughts that constantly come up? And so I just we just want to invite people to look at those things in themselves and go, where am I sure I can't do something? Where am I certain that something is not possible for me? And start to wonder and open your mind to learning more, you know, just learning more. There's no way I would have been on this world record had I not done the work to get there, but there's no way I would be on a world record like this if I never jumped out of the plane in the first place, you know? So it's like that humility of starting something that we don't know how to do and being open-minded to where it might take us. Adventure and purpose is one of the best combinations of things in this whole world. 
And you know, yes. we're, we're biased, of course, but <laughs> it's like peanut butter and chocolate. It just, it, it goes together so well. And once you have it together, you really don't want it apart. So would you say that of the 12,000 jumps you did before, there's something really special about doing it with a bigger purpose in mind. And it's, it's hard to go back after that. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I won't go back. Like there, I really, there's, I have not much interest. I mean, skydiving, I will say this. It's one of the great loves of my life. Skydiving is truly one of the great, I could cry talking about how much it has given me. Like it is no joke. It's a great love of my life. I'm so thankful. And I say that because it, helped me again, open my own mind, but also it was a stepping stone to my own healing and my own willingness to challenge myself in all kinds of ways. And it opened doors that I could never have predicted ever, ever. Right. And so it's just like anything else, you know, and I, like I said, I'm a professional. And so working in the sport, anything that you do in your life that you do all the time or that saturates your life can get old. And so for me, I was sort of on the, I was on the downward part of that bell curve where it's like, oh, I'm start skydiving. I'm so excited. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm super excited. I'm going to be a pro and quit my job and do everything and travel around the world. And oh, wow, it's really tiring and it's good, but oh, you know, okay. And just sort of down that other side of the bell curve where it's, It's just, I've done it, you know? And so for me, like I said, the last world record that I did was in 2013. It was a long time ago. And I didn't really even care to be on another world record. I would always cheer my my people on and be like, yes, go you, I love it. (laughs) And uh, But when this Project 19 came up and there was this bigger purpose, that re- in, like it reinvigorated me. And it did that for not just me, but for a lot of people on the, on the record team. Some women on the record team didn't even know how to fly head down when Project 19 was announced. They were so motivated and moved that they went to camps, they got into the wind tunnel, they spent a bunch of money, time, energy, heart to get to the point where they then were on the record in 2022. It's just unbelievable. And so that, It's like, that's what we're hoping to give to people is that type of inquiry, curiosity, and energy. It might be too early to know, but where do you think this goes next for you? You obviously have a lot of things you do. Podcast host, entrepreneur, you have a team, highlight a pro skydiving team. You've authored books. You're a speaker. Uh, I'm sure, you know, there's 20 other things I could list. What would you say is that next step of all this? From the perspective of Project 19 and that the the fight, as it were, is never over, there's definitely ideas percolating in terms of different world records and trying again for the 100 way, maybe doing a, a head up record. So we were flying head down, which is head to earth, feet up, 180, whatever, 160. 
And there's other ideas of doing a head up record, which is basically sit flying. If you're imagining yourself sitting in a chair, there's ideas around that. What, what's the significance of the two different ones, by the way? The different kinds of fl- the f- different flying styles are just different. It's honestly like the skills involved, the balance. Yeah. All that. Yes. Head up. If you imagine a person flying head down, it's like a badminton sh- shuttlecock right? Like a birdie. And it's pretty much always going to, it's never going to fall like feathers down. It's always going to fall with that like heavy center of gravity down, right? So head down is a lot more aerodynamic than flying head up. So if we're sitting in a chair, it's really not, it's not aerodynamic. And so it requires like this uh, power in the way that you fly. It's much more difficult. Not to say that head down flying and these high numbers isn't extremely difficult. It is. Yeah. Uh, but it's an interesting new challenge to potentially take on. One thing that you you asked that I didn't really speak to is we have gotten a ton of media, you know, CBS Evening News and MSNBC, like just all kinds of amazing national coverage. So that's one thing is to amplify from the actual thing. But the ongoing efforts are we're working on making a documentary And one of our goals with that is to get it out into schools in America where I don't know about you, but I don't remember learning about the women's suffrage movement, you know? So if we can make a 30 minute documentary, that's kind of cool and, and shares about skydiving, which is this vehicle to carry these messages, we can maybe impact the young hearts and minds of this country and help them know what happened with the women who who got the right to vote for us, you know, and, and really have a bit of like just gratitude for that and recognition around and not take for granted the rights that we have so that we can be in service to them as we go forward too. So that's happening. And like I said, I'm never going to not talk about it. So for sure, I'm going to do keynote speeches about this and really deep dive on this subject and hopefully leave people with inspiration for years to come. From your personal experience. Why should people dive headfirst, no pun intended, into the things that bite them? (laughs) Because the way that your life opens up and the amount of alignment and, and life force that you feel doing the things that really are truly calling to you. God, there's so many boxes that we're painted into in our various societies and families and it's all good. It's not even bad. It's more just let's make sure we question those things that are holding us back, you know, and, and the feeling, and this is just for me, but it's so enlivening and so fulfilling, which can be such a born like buzzword, hashtag life coach buzzword, you know, But when we really connect to that feeling of fulfillment and that feeling of alignment and that feeling of aliveness, there's just nothing better than that, you know? And for me, doing it with people that I love amplifies it that much more. That's beautiful. From a more practical point of view, say someone's listening, they're like, you know, I want to get into skydiving. Yep. 
where do you say start? You know, my they, yeah. they, their dad doesn't have a you know business. Yeah. With, should they go to a, someone like your dad who has a business? Yeah, Let's just try yeah. it. Yeah, well, no, they can't. My dad closed down his drop zone. Oh. Gosh, probably a decade ago. He's you know, but he still flies for sure. But what I would su- suggest people do is go to Google and type in skydiving near me and look for a United States Parachute Association drop zone. So you want a drop zone that is a USPA member because they have a code of of safety and ethics that we would support. If you are a woman and you want more support, you certainly can go to the womenskydivingnetwork.org. That's the foundation's website. And so we have we're have a contact form there so people can write questions and and learn through our blog, read about resources, stuff like that. So there's a lot of information there as well. I, I have to ask this with 12,000 flights, it's kind of like when we have someone that sails on the podcast around the world, I always ask like, all right, you know, pirates, have you faced them? Like what, you know, I'm sure you get asked all the time, <laughs> you with skydiving 12,000 times, what's What's something you can share that's just crazy that happened either on a dive like or (laughs) before or after, you know, was it weather or animals or something that close encounter of some sort? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, you've had to have faced some unexpected things with that many Yeah, 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 for sure. So I'm also a stunt person because when you have high level of skydiving, I mean, I'm not a, like one of my teammates on highlight. She's a full-time stunt woman. She's a total amazing. She's crazy. Cool. Does a lot of Hollywood work and stuff. I've done the occasional sort of Hollywood stunt job just because when you have a, le- a high level of skill, you, they need that mm-hmm. in order to execute these stunts. So anyway, <laughs> two different things in stunts because they can go so nuts. I did a commercial for Emerald Nuts where we chucked a commercial drink cart out the back of a sky van. So similar, that tailgate exit, we rolled this thing out the back of a sky van. And the intention was for me as this flight attendant in the commercial to just be sort of flying there in my skirt and outfit, holding it, just being like, yeah, cool. What ended up happening is when you have like a large flight surface that's rigid, it catches air. And so as soon as we put that drink cart out, one of the sides like would catch air and it just ripped out of our <laughs> just ripped out of our hands. And we're doing these jumps over the desert so that the drink cart can then fall to the ground safely and not hurt anyone. That was the part of setting up a stunt like that but so crazy, not even possible. We got to the point where we had to, I had to then jump out with a green screen, basically painted piece of wood that was essentially the handle of the drink cart. So my job became, I have to fly, no helmet, no goggles, skirt, like freezing, freezing. And I have to hold this, piece of wood perfectly level to the ground so that they can CG the drink cart into the commercial after the fact. (laughs) That was crazy. I mean, it was, I still have that piece of wood because every time I look at it, I'm like, yeah, go team. (laughs) 
that's on. I mean, with the yeah, talk about the unexpected places that uh, a skill will bring you. That's one of the beautiful things about adventure. Follow it, and you just you will have stories of of that you just can't even imagine at this point. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly, very cool. And that's another place that skydiving is going for me. Is that for me personally? I it's this purpose driven stuff, of course, and it's these cool, special location. So we, you mentioned briefly highlight skydiving. That's a demonstration jump team that I co-founded with my, my business partner, Amy Shimalecki. She's the only woman on the Red Bull Air Force. And, uh, I, I bring that up because demonstration jumps take you into these really cool places. Like we just did a jump this, this year into Angel City FC's not their opening game, but into their opening season. And we have jumped into, you know, one of the jumps we did in 2020 was we landed at, uh, right in front of Alva Belmont's mausoleum at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, you know, in, in, in very, very near the flight path of LaGuardia airport, a very intense airspace in New York city for, again, championing this, this history of women's suffrage, but that was a tiny little piece of grass in the middle of the Bronx. You know, those kinds of experiences are peak for sure. And so, so cool. But what goes into them is the teamwork and the relationships that you build with your team. That is like so much more fulfilling. The peak performances are incredible, but in order to get to them, the amount of teamwork that it takes is, is something that Oh, it just makes your life so much better when you have those kinds of connections and that kind of love. Well, with everywhere that you could point people, could you list where you would like folks to find more about you, find out more about you by priority? Because uh, you, you've got websites, you've got, uh, you tell me <laughs> where you want folks to go. A million channels, right? Certainly. So the foundation, like I said, womenskydivingnetwork.org and then highlightskydiving.com is our demonstration jump team. So yeah, find us there and thank you very much. And any questions you have, let us know. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventure sports podcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>